You're listening to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here with my dad, Erwin Raphael McManus. It's good to have you today. It's good to be here with you. How's your week going? It's been a great week, especially today. It's sunny in LA the way it should be. Finally. Although it is still deceptively freezing cold. It's actually so cold. We're doing doing 75 hard, which is like a workout training program. All right. And it's it's, honestly, it's awful. It's awful. And then (laughs) someone hit me up today, though, and said we should do a battle ready version of what 75 hard is so people could do it with battle ready. That's kind of cool. It was basically two a days, and we're running in the mornings. And it's so cold. It's so cold. <laughs> like my little legs out there, free, like red. And when you end. say two a days, is that getting coffee twice? It's getting coffee twice. That's what it is. <laughs> and, uh, no, it's like two you, breakfasts. You gotta, you, I think you have to do two 45 minute workouts, one inside, one outside. Wow. So, yeah. I did th- so I did three yesterday, and then mm-hmm. today I'm doing one. But this whole weekend is not to make me sound cool. I'm not cool. I'm hurting. I'm hurting inside and out. Um, this weekend was wild. The trees in my like yard were bending in half. It was like a tropical storm. I've only ever seen this in Florida. Whatever Florida has, we got it. And it's, it's been, been wild. crazy. I, I mean, the wind, the storms, uh, our yard was flooding. Trees have been uprooted, blocking streets. It's crazy in crazy, LA. Crazy, crazy in LA. And then uh, someone told me yesterday that they woke up in Pasadena and just like randomly woke up in Pasadena. Well, they live in, they Pasadena. Live in Pasadena. Yeah, okay. they just randomly live in Pasadena, and okay. the mountains are full of snow. The mountains in Pasadena. Yeah, they said that they were white. Wow. So we're it's it's beautiful. I mean, come to LA. We have oceans. We have mountains. We have snow. We have uh, beach. We you know we have it all. I was running with one of my friends from Mexico City, and he just yells out, "This is not what I pay for you for, Los Angeles." <laughs> Does he pay? <laughs> he does. I don't know if he pays. Anyways, but he was, he was running in the cold. And, was all. and then, you know, we, we had an amazing weekend at Mosaic this weekend. You you spoke an amazing message that me and Austin have changed the title. <laughs> well, no, he, what he was initially? Me. It was the, the initially the place called Scent. Yeah, yeah, which is a little obscure. It is obscure. It's very like you. Y- yes. You're very obscure. Actually I am. A really practical message on. But John we ended Nye. up calling uh, the meaning of the mess. Yep. And I wanted to call it Own the Mess. Own the Mess? Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's a great, it's a great talk. No, I was really inspired. I listened to it twice on purpose. <laughs> yeah, it was really great. So thank yeah. you for that. One, one of my irreligious friends who listened to the talk said, yeah, I heard that, um, like, if God can use spit, he can use me. <laughs> who said that? Who was it? I think it was Lewis House. Was it Lewis? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> That's so funny. And, uh, um, and I said, yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a good summary. That's a good summary. <laughs> that's a good that's summary. Funny. <laughs> use yeah. mud. You can use me. You were funny. Ah. You were like, you're still funny. I still got it. Still got it. I realized I haven't been that funny lately. And that I haven't really created enough space to like, for humor in my yeah. in my talks. What do you think that is? Because, you know, I think we've, you know, I wanted to bring up Mosaic today because we talk a lot about you know, LA hasn't been back and hasn't mm-hmm. been the same and church has been crazy and it's been smaller and all these things. And it feels like it's back. Like we're growing yep. each week. It's new yep. services, all the things. It's so much going on, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. One, it's, it was amazing how many people were there. Um, In both campuses. I mean, just uh, filling up to the brim. It's so exciting to see new people. So exciting to watch right. people's lives change. But when you ask me what's the difference in terms of humor, it's simple. Right. It's time. Right. If you try to do a really tight talk that's like 30, 35 minutes, mm. you pretty much 
eliminate all the space for um, natural humor. But your talk this week, you know, the overall runtime was only like an hour. Yeah, I, I kept it pretty tight. The, the whole thing, like worship yeah. announcements, you. Yeah, and so, so what, what was your talk? What was his talk time? You think thirty five? 40? Yeah. yeah, including the invitation. Yeah. Including the invitation. So, okay. yeah. so like 30 But seconds. really the talk itself was like 35, 36 minutes. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, you have to create space for humor. Uh, humor, it, it has to percolate and you cannot be in a hurry. If you listen to the best comedians, they almost feel as if they have nowhere to go. They are slowing <laughs> you know? it down, slowing yeah. it down. And so when I used to do 57 minute talks, which was almost my exact time, every, every, time. every single time, I was a lot funnier because I created a lot more room for storytelling and for, for the, observation. For the sake of the argument, yeah. I'm going to just say you're funnier now. Because <laughs> 57, I'm laughing just to get just to get out. Uh -huh. I'm, la I'm like, I will laugh at everything you say. Get me out of here, <laughs> sir. No, you are, you've, you've always been funny. I mean, I, I always feel like you turn it on at night whenever we do night services. That was, that was, that was, those were always the longest. Usually in the mornings yeah. you would do like 47. Yeah. Almost all, every time it was like 47 minutes. And then at mm -hmm. night you'd go another 10 or 20 minutes. And it was just like, you're just, people are crying, laughing. Yeah, to and, me, like the morning was like, you know, it was the Michelin star presentation. Everything had to be perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at night, it was the sloppy hot dog with <laughs> chili on it. It was the, it was the, <laughs> you know, the it was that's like, an LA reference. That's the, that's the, the LA city street dogs after yeah. like a, a game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, the vendors line up at, outside the, the stadiums. Yeah. Um, but I, it feels good to be back. It feels good. It feels, you can see the teams are moving and people are excited. And yeah, and even on in South Pass, which is like our suburb campus, like they're just absolutely killing it. And so many people coming in. I mean, they had, they had a bigger Sunday without you speaking live because they simulcasted just because they're working their butts off. But you're still speaking. You're on the video. Mm -hmm. And people are still loving it. People are loving it. Mm -hmm. It was like, it's amazing. It's so it's, cool to see it. It's also a great way to know if you're making a connection both live and through live stream. Yeah. If people are laughing. People are laughing, for because sure. Because when you're speaking and the audience laughs, you know that there's a connection there. Right. And so it's a great way to get um, on-time data yeah. on whether you're connecting to people. I, yeah. I mean, you're a genius, right? Like I think also, one, stream works. The stream works. It's mm -hmm. it's awesome. It's it's visceral. You're engaged. It's fun, especially in South Pass. Like I've been over mm -hmm. there for the last like six weeks. And it's, it's people like, it's like they're not missing a beat. Like they mm -hmm. love that you say hi to them. It's like, it's just right there. Craig Rochelle figured it out, man. <laughs> and now we're using it. Um, okay, so where do we go from here? Where do you want to go? There's, we have a lot of things we could talk about. We did, you know. I, I feel like I, I want to throw back a little bit, you know, go back to maybe what we talked about two years ago. Yeah. In the middle of the pandemic, we started talking a little bit about um, uh, it, it's, it's more than vaccines. It's more than the quarantine. It's the, um, the filtering of information. Okay. Because this past week, an article came out. In fact, I found it on CNN. You found it somewhere else, I think. But um, I, I think pulled I up, found it in New York Times. Yeah, I found this CNN article that basically said that um, the U.S. Energy Department uh, has concluded that um, three years removed that the pandemic began in the laboratory in Wuhan, China. We and, knew it. We all knew it. And that we is knew it. most likely a, a laboratory leak. And, um, and also then it said that um, it was first confirmed in a classified intelligence report uh, reported by the Wall Street Journal. So these are really legitimate sources. It was Wall Street Journal that sent you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And 
and I, I thought there's a lot of things that were really interesting in this and in that, um, you know, the, the intelligence community has been releasing more information and that even back then they were split on how it started and that essentially the White House determined it would go with the assessment that it was started through animal transfer rather than the Wuhan lab, even though some of the intelligence community from the very beginning said it came from a lab. And even though there was low confidence that the virus jumped from animals to humans. And so even the ones who concluded it was a jump from animals to humans still said it was low confidence, not high confidence, even yes. mid confidence. I'm sorry, I'm only laughing okay. because at the bottom of this post, there's Eric Roy and Andres Figueroa <laughs> ripping into the comments. No, for sure it was a bat, blame the bat. <laughs> <laughs> our boys, some of our boys from the <laughs> You can't and, take uh, them anywhere. You, that's why we can't have nice things. And then one of the assessments, I'm going to go back. Go back. With moderate confidence that the pandemic was a result of, of a laboratory accident. And, and then it even talks about how um, some of the backtracing evidence is that, um, that they found evidence that researchers at Wuhan uh, Institute of Virology fell seriously ill with a mysterious virus in November of 2019. And so that's before the global outbreak of the pan of COVID-19, of the pandemic. I, I think that for me, the question isn't where did it start, even though that's a pretty important question. It's a pretty important <laughs> question. Pretty, I mean, it's a pretty important question to ask, you know, was this a, a virus that jumped from animals to humans? And um, because that, that creates a different scenario of possibilities for the future. Yeah. It, it's also a significant question to say, was it leaked from a laboratory? And then there's two questions inside of that question. Was it, leaped, le was it leaked from a laboratory by accident or was it leaked from a laboratory on purpose? But then there's another fundamental question behind that one. Were they doing research there that they should not have been doing? Mm, you I'm know, gonna go with that one. I'm trying to find the pod, the Joe Rogan podcast with this scientist, he's a virologist mm -hmm. who basically got a, he's like, I basically, he like did work, so he's like, I work CIA, I work for the federal, uh, FBI, mm -hmm. I work with all the, all the agencies as like a consultant. Yeah. He's like, he's an older guy, lives in Virginia, he's on a horse ranch. So like, he's telling all about, talking about all of the medications, all the things. Mm -hmm. He's like, I got a call early 2020. I think it might've been end of 2019, early 2020. And he was like, from a guy in the CIA saying, hey, have you, when are you going to China? He was like, what do you mean when am I going to China? And he goes, there's something going on in China. You're going to probably get a call in the next, like day or two. And so he talked about, he was like one of the earliest guys to take mm -hmm. the vaccine. He talks about basically where it or like originates all of, he, he really myths, myth busts jo Joe Rogan because Joe Rogan's pretty conspiracy mm -hmm. theorist and goes, oh, he's Joe Rogan's Joe Rogan. He's awesome. But he basically like go, pushes back pretty heavily on mm -hmm. like misinformation and like right. stuff that I think Joe Rogan kind of came to believe. And he kind of mm -hmm. presents him with a bunch of options of like, was it this or was it this? And the guy just breaks it down. I listened to it probably a year ago, but an amazing podcast. We'll find it and link it. But yeah, I for me the question today. Yeah, what's the question today? Is have we been conditioned to believe the government should protect us from information and from truth so that we don't have to have the complexity of making choices? Because that's how societies lose their freedom. Because what what we do know without any doubt, all right, there's a lot of doubt about how it started. What we know without any doubt is that the government knew that both theories were probable or which, possible. Which theories? That it came from animals or that it came from a lab. 
And then the likelihood, just, you know, if you use Hockham's razor to break down the information, you would have to conclude it came from the lab. There's just, what's the likelihood that you would have a animal transference of a virus in a small place called Wuhan, where they happen to have the laboratory that was researching the exact same kind of viruses where they had the ec epidemic begin. And so just basic, basing this from a scientific assessment, not from an emotional or political or religious view, just from a scientific assessment, you'd have to go 90% likely it came from a lab. But that's not even then my question. The question is, everyone who disagreed with what the government said, everything, everyone who disagreed with the narrative that it was transferred by animals was considered a conspiracy theorist. Even the fact that in a moment ago, you know, Joe Rogan's kind of known as being a conspiracy theorist guy. Is he known as a conspiracy theory guy because he refused to accept a narrative that now we know was false? And is this the way the government's going to shape the future of American um, politics that whoever's in power will withhold information and say, well, no, we're protecting the people. And mm -hmm. even the fact you mentioned this to me the other day, how Twitter. Twitter. I sent you a video. Talk, talk about that for a minute. So I, Austin <laughs> sent me a video where his United States representative, so Congresswoman Nancy Mace from South Carolina, interviewing a Twitter executive, mm -hmm. basically on the grounds of, the first question is, did you go to medical school? That's the question from the, uh, the congresswoman. And the woman responds from Twitter, no, of course, no, I did not go to medical school. And then she starts bringing up case after case of people who were censored, doctors who were trained and, and, and educated at the highest level, the best mm -hmm. medical schools in the world, and says, why would you censor? Why would Twitter knowingly censor some of the most educated humans on the earth to prevent what? In the middle of the explanation, the executive from Twitter says, we were trying to protect Individuals. People. He says individuals. Individuals. Yes. Yeah. So um, here's the question. Do we want a society where government and media and news outlets and um, every public forum is there to, quote, protect us from information that we're not capable of filtering through mm. because we're so stupid and so naive and so incapable that if we are bombarded with all the information, we'll make the wrong decision. Because it feels to me that this is the this this is the definition of Big Brother. That um, I cannot trust you to figure out what's actually true, and and to do the right thing. And so you have universities even to this day who are forcing people to be vaccinated to be a part of their programs hmm. when other nations, uh, advanced nations, you know, um, educationally, that are already way past that, that no longer require that. I, I'm concerned because, I mean, one, you know, there's a growing um, intolerance to, for anyone who has a different position than just far left progressive ideologies. Hmm. And it's interesting because in my lifetime, 20 years ago, people on the far left had a legitimate argument. They were unheard. Right. 
and you know, and that they needed to. to in, in which way, and on what? Like, what were the primary? Like, I just, just I'm asking, to be educated. Well, here, no, some of it would be. Um, what were the primary topics in which they felt I, misheard? I feel like the the gay community right, was right, 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 unheard right. and even un, like women's rights and, and, and yes, uh, a lot of you know issues with women's rights. Yes, and um, you know. I, I think, especially when you look at the '80s, when you come out there with Ronald Reagan, you know, when you had the whole influence of the moral majority uh, with Jerry Falwell and that massive movement of Christianizing America, right. a lot of people who were not Christians, a lot of people who um, didn't hold the same belief systems, really felt run over. Wait, Jerry Falwell follow was part of that. He started the moral majority. That's not the one who got caught with this. No, that's his son. Oh. And so, you know, even his son couldn't belong to the moral majority. Yeah. And, you know, and, and... Doing our best. Our sons were doing our best. So I feel like the right, the the Christian political forces right. tried to force America to have a narrative where if you were progressive, if you were on the left, if you were not a Christian, you did not have a voice. Mm. And, and so I actually was incredibly sensitive to the fact that it that we needed to allow everyone to have a voice. Mm -hmm. That even if you don't agree with, you know, um, pro-choice or if you're pro-life or if you don't agree with um, gay rights or whatever it may be, in an open, free society, you have to create space for people to have an honest dialogue about those things. Right. So I was always for that. But now it's the opposite. If you don't hold the line to far, far left progressive ideologies, um, you're you're going to be banished. You're going to be censored. You're going to be blackballed, and and so there's no longer even a moderate intellectual center. Mm. Um, I, I I think the Democratic Party is becoming a mist mm. that is really now just a far left socialist progressive ideology, just like the far right has lost its center mm. and has become this hard right almost. Um, you know, protectionist, um, nationalist ideology that, you know, America needs to protect itself from the rest of the world. And and the moment you let one extreme take control over the conversation, you're in real trouble. And I think that's the reality is that the left is okay with Twitter taking control over freedom of speech. I think th yeah. I think they're one and the same. I don't think it's I don't think I don't think the yeah, left. Yeah, that's true. I agree. I think the Twitter Twitter operated as a, an entity of of the le of left belief systems and leftist yeah. you know politicians, and I think that's the reality. And she kind of goes on to basically say that they were they were mandated by the government to do specific things, and and you know how much of that is them scapegoating the government, or how much of them is that like how much of that is them you know covering their own tracks and that that own that own way. But it just feels like both parties just get in their own way, right? Now we yeah. we obviously this was going to come out. This was always going to come out. The reality and the sad reality is that people just don't care as much now. They've exhausted us with lies, so we don't even care about the truth. Yeah. Right. And that's I think that's something to say for for most things where you lie so much, the truth doesn't even matter anymore. Yeah. You just went out. Yeah. Sometimes I photograph articles where the uh, headline in like the New York Times, wherever it may be. Right. It makes a really stark statement, and then you read the article, and the article says the opposite. Yeah. But they know that most people yeah, it's clickbait. It's are just going to read the headline and not read the article. And they like quickly they, A B test that. You have to go like down micro markets. Yeah, yeah, you have to go on three paragraphs before you realize, oh, the caption is actually the opposite of the reality. Yeah, it's so interesting. And so you cannot really tell me sad. that the media doesn't have a political, social, 
agenda. It does. Yes. And and news is no longer news. It is propaganda. And maybe it's always been propaganda, but now it just seems like it's it's the the sport of the time. It does. And so at what point do you know, what is the, you know, what do you do with this, right? Because who do you trust in the media? Who do you listen to? I trust Joe Rogan more than I trust CNN and Fox News. Like I don't, I could not tell you. I can get the news. I, I could not tell you the last time I have listened or watched CNN or Fox News or MSNBC because I know I know it's fully propagandic media. I, I read the New York Times with like an open mind with but with also the filter of going I know what this is too. Mm -hmm. I know that if it's a conservative writer that he gets like a one little mini like bar he'll never get a headline he'll never get a whole thing they'll say like yeah. an opposing view from blah, 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 blah. right and i always tag those and like no opposing views are what your paper should be all about is your you should almost have two headlines <laughs> this is what one people one 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 part of the world might think and this is the way that the other world might think also or just give the facts mm -hmm. we need the man from new newsroom back <laughs> from aaron sorkin's newsroom that's what we need. But I also, you know, so where do we go from here? How Because I said, like, you know, let's not trust. You can't trust the government. That's the reality. You can't trust it because it doesn't it doesn't need your trust. It needs your vote it's, and it needs your tax paying dollars. And so it does feel, at least for me, it feels like the U.S. as beautiful of a country that that we that we live in feels like we live in an exhausting lie and a manipulation kind of cyclical motion. Yeah. yeah there's another thing that uh, maybe it's just uh going off on in, in a you know unwanted direction but if the government can create money it just makes money and you know yes. it just prints money because when we start taking on multi-trillion dollar deficits um, that isn't real money the government is just printing money and so there there are econo economists who are basically saying the government should do that we should just print all the money we need because it's really just up to us. It's no longer backed by gold. There's no real value behind it. So why don't we just print money? So then my mind says, okay, if you're just going to print money, then why collect taxes? Because why do you need my money if you can just print money except for control? Because if, if you're going to print money, you don't need to tax billionaires. You just print billions of dollars of money. Hmm. which is what the government is doing. So it doesn't all make sense to me. And it doesn't tax billionaires anyway. So that's... No, that's I, no I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people who become billionaires are smart enough to know how to avoid taxes. Right, right. And, uh, yeah. By constantly <laughs> taking a loss, right? Yeah. No, I, I, I guess... I, let me ask you a simple question. Can you? Do you feel like you can trust the government? No matter the party. Because this has happened on both sides. Maybe not this specific situation. I think that um, the political structures are set up in a way where it's hard for trustworthy people to hold office. Hmm. And when I say trustworthy, I mean people without a political agenda that is hidden behind the marketing of the politics. And so you run with one agenda, but you lead with another. And I think it's really difficult to get people to actually say what they really believe and what they're really going to do in office. Mm. And, you know, so I, I do think there's some, I think Bernie Sanders, you know who he is. You may not like Bernie, right? but you do know his ideology. And if he was the president, he would try to make us a socialist company, country, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, uh, and maybe that wasn't I a like, funny I slip. I like that slip. Yeah, I like yeah, that yeah. slip because that's what and, we really are. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you have, um, you know, 
Ron DeSantis, you have a you you know exactly who he is and where he stands. So there are some politicians where you think these people are true to who they are, whether you like them or not. Right. Um, overall, I think that when a person becomes president, you have no idea what their real agenda is. I still to this day don't know what Biden's real value system is. Well, half of the women in his administration are women. <laughs> Which is a really good percentage. It used to be 100%, but the did world has changed. Did you, you see the clip? <laughs> yes. Did you see the clip? Where he's like, I did. I oh, saw that. So my man. My, someone give my man. My, someone give my man out of work. He okay. does not. He does not need this. No. And he does here, not need to. No, no. I'm talking. He okay. does not need to work right now. He needs to go and be with his family and enjoy his life, because he is. That's 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 stuff that you never want in your legacy. The stuff you don't want your for your grandchildren to remember. Like you cannot even form sentences, yeah. right? But even when you're saying that, like, I think they had uh, Joe Biden present at the Grammys. Yes. There's no question that that's a political move. Of course. Because I don't think she has a musical background. No. <laughs> you know? I, I don't think anyone's going, you know, who are the people who really need to represent music and go, oh, Joe Biden. Yeah, but that's kind of a thing. Like, Michelle Obama would have been really engaged in. in yeah, in, but you just have, you have to have a Michelle Obama. <laughs> You have to have Michelle Obama. I don't know. Okay. Maybe, okay, I got a couple other things. You want to get into Asbury? All right. Go ahead. Do your thing. It's Asbury, right? Uh, you know what Asbury is? What is it called? The Asbury Revival? Yeah. Asbury Theological Seminary, Asbury College, outside of, I think, Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah. 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 So I, this is an interesting thing, right? This is a departure from our original conversation. What I and, and, and we had a heated little back and forth last week when we were sitting in, in on the beach and we were talking, we were just leaving a meeting and I brought it up to you because I, I had, I was texting one of our guys from Art of Communication who's become a great dear friend, mm -hmm. Andy Williamson and wonderful guy. And he's, yeah. he, he, over the weekend he had texted me like, Hey, I'm going to go, yeah. I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to Asbury. And our friend, Eric Johnson, now in Greenville, Johnson he drove went, there and went. And so, we and know then a few Al people. Gordon from, yeah. from Hackney. In uh, London, flew yeah. in and went. Flew in. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting to me. So basically there's a revival going on that's like student led on mm -hmm. campus. And I guess they've been worshiping 24 seven for the last like few weeks. Mm. And the first thing he said when he's like, hey, have you heard about Asbury, you know, revival? He's like, they've been worshiping for like a week straight, 24 seven. I said, send them to bed and get them some water. That was the first <laughs> thing I said. But, but you know, it's, it's a, but I, it, for him, it was dear to his heart. And I asked him like, what did you see? What did you feel? What did you think? You know, what's your perspective of the situation? He sent me photos, sent me videos. Mm -hmm. He sent me initially a video of, I guess there's like a six hour line to get into like the chapel where they're doing it. The chapel's yeah, massive. That's what I heard. They were, they were singing Tremble outside in the lines wow, and people were, were singing. Yeah, it's great. You know, Mariah wrote Tremble with a bunch of great people. And so that was cool. And I was like, oh, I love that. I don't know if, how I feel about the rest of it. And here's, here is my question. One, <laughs> I need you to give me a real answer. Is that revival? And what is revival? And is that revival? First of all, I don't want your mom trolling me on Battle Ready because she went after some people who were mocking the Asbury revival. Mom did? On, on, online yesterday. Wait, where? where? Some, some guy was making fun of the Asbury revival and mocking it and getting followers. And, and she said, you know, um, she was really upset with him saying. On Facebook? Who was, was someone we know? No. Wow. She just mom's just trolling I, a troll. She's trolling a troll. That's what I told her this morning. Like mother, like son. 
I said, uh, honey, you're trolling a troll. Why are you doing this? But I, I don't know because yeah. the, the one video that I saw was like this young guy and he's shaking, crying, giving like his testimony of something that happened. It's beautiful, amazing. But I just for me, anything that emasculates men and 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 creates very like feminine uh, or um, not feminine, but like very soft energy for men, it kind of reduces it to me. It makes me lose respect for it. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's that's just that. I don't know. I feel like the men should be men. It doesn't mean they can't cry. It doesn't mean they can't be be emotional. I mean, they should be emotional. But I do feel that it felt put on. And also like the camera angle was like like this. And I'm like, okay, so there's someone there <laughs> filming this. And I'm like, if this is really revival, why are we trying to document it so much? Because that to me feels like production, not mm -hmm. revival. So let me go back to my question. Do you really have a question? I think you have a statement. No, I, I wanna I, I would like I would like to go toe to toe with you on this one. Is it revival and, and what is revival and is this it? Well, I don't know if all of our listeners even use the language of revival. It's an old word that isn't as common as much anymore. Right. And um, you know, to for something to be revived is to be brought back to life. Right. And, and so maybe, you know, it's a Christian college and a Christian seminary. Right. And I, I could imagine there's a lot of kids who go to school there who uh, their faith is their family's faith. Mm -hmm. They grew up in church. They grew up, right. you know, in a Christian world. But that faith has never really been fully owned by them. Okay. Or they've never had a life-changing experience or encounter with Jesus that was right. truly um, transforming. And that that's happening now. So I really, you know, want to celebrate if that's what's happening and go... Hey, there are times in your life you just need something to wake you up. And then sometimes it happens in a, an entire group and a lot of people yeah. in your life have that same experience. And I, I've had moments in my life that would be very similar to that in the past. On the flip side, I never wanted to market it. I never wanted to turn it into like a media thing. Yeah. Uh, because when you're truly present in that moment, it, that's all that really matters. Yeah. You don't know, quote, if it's revival for maybe 20, 30 years, right. if their lives genuinely change, if they um, serve the world in an unexplainable way, if they live a life of courage and faith, right. and if they see many people come to know Jesus because of the change in their life. So I think the outcome of a real revival yeah. is that people who don't believe in God come to believe in God because of the life change in the people who have been revived. You get no, what I'm saying is Why does it bother me so much then? Because it bothers me. It irks me. It feels fake. It feels false. I think it's such a, I think, I think all of the pastors flying there are whack. I think the fact that they have to go and see it and touch it is the same people who go to Disneyland after the Super Bowl. Like, I told I, you, since you're so cynical, you should fly out there and check it out. I'd be cynical. I'd be like, hey, is this mic on? <laughs> hey, stop crying. I don't know. I just still something about it doesn't mean I haven't been moved by Jesus in an emotional way. I think I have, and I and I and I you know I love to cry. Crying is a real thing. I'm very very intense and I'm very passionate. I feel like it teaches young people inside of church or in the faith or in this revival an unhealthy relationship with Jesus. That's what it fe I feel like it, it teaches. And then I think for like you know so Andy said like the celebrity pastors were made to wait in line for six hours and all that. I don't really care. They're not celebrities to me. They're not, if yeah. you want to be a Kardashian, go be a Kardashian. I don't really, I don't care. You know, it does not matter what you do on Instagram to me at all. 
It matters what you do. And, I, and, and yeah. the same week is like 30,000 people are, are dying in Istanbul and I am never this person. I am never the person to be like, don't do this here, go do this here. But in this instance, it felt like the two questions I asked were, why is it so emotional and why am I seeing it on TikTok and Instagram? And why aren't they doing anything about it? Like changing anything in the world? And are, is, is evangelism happening? Has anybody come to Jesus? And you had said like, maybe they're, they're reigniting their faith to me. It's Christians who are coming back alive. But why does it irk me so much? It bothers me. Why? It's something it's, in me. I agree. It's I think it's in me. because over the years that you've been raised inside the faith, you've seen so much fake. It was the same way that and they lied about COVID. The same thing in Bethel when they tried to, to raise that beautiful kid who passed away mm -hmm. from, from the dead. Yeah. It's a misappropriation of faith, it feels like to me. And a, yeah. mis, and a, and a misguided, with no leadership. It's, it's, you can tell what happened. In, oh, I'll tell you why Reddit. it bothers you so much. Why does it bother me? Because you actually have a lot of friends that don't believe in Jesus, oh and you think gosh, it makes Christians start. look stupid. We do look stupid. I sat in front of a dinner table with people, and they were like, what the actual is this? I was like, I don't know. I was like, you've seen Harry Potter? Like, yeah, we got that too. We have, we have some people waving their wands thinking they can raise people from the dead. And, 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 it's, and, it's, and in one case, I do truly believe that, that spiritually we were reborn and that spiritually we were raised from the dead and not that it can't happen. I believe that God can do all, all things. I guess for me, it's why are we so needing that to happen for us to like ignite our faith, right? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is um, emotional catharsis, a need to open yourself up, a need to experience something deeply, a need to f feel seen and loved. Um, you, you know, and I, I, I think of the words of Jesus when the disciples saw that other people were casting out demons and performing miracles, and they said to Jesus, I love how Peter goes, Hey, Lord, would you like for us to call fire down from heaven and take care of them? <laughs> That's me, my man. That's me. And, and you're, you have a lot of Peter in you. I do. <laughs> and, and Jesus said, which you want to have more Jesus in you than Peter, Jesus said, um, no, if they're not against us, they're for us. Yeah. And there's just enough people who are against us for us to, you know, pick people and go, we're going to against this. Like, no, nah, they're not against us. They're sincere. I believe they're sincere. I believe that they're connecting to God. I, I, they're not hurting me in any way. They are hurting me, though. They're they because they because it bothers me when my friends go. What is this? Why is and I think so it's better to go. Embarrassing. I don't know what it is. Life is full of mysteries. I say I don't know them. That's not my. <laughs> not, that's a different, different, <laughs> different, <laughs> different sect. <laughs> different sect. You know, having been alive twice as long as you, I've seen a lot of situations like this that they just dissipate into no real change. Hmm. I mean, what I think of it in, as an example is um, decades ago, New Zealand as a nation, all the Christian churches had, quote, a revival and awakening. And pretty much every church in New Zealand became charismatic. Hmm. Like they, they, you know, had the whole experience of speaking in tongues with the second baptism, and it became, um, it, it spread like wildfire across the nation. But the percent of Christians, I think, stayed at 1%. And so there was zero effect on the nation in terms of its relationship to God or to Jesus. Yeah. And so I go, was that really revival or was that hysteria? 
Yeah. Y- you know, was it really something that God was like infusing? Um, and if it was, why did the church have zero effective change in the way it related to the world around it? Mm. You know, I want change that changes the world. I want change that changes the lives of other people. I don't want to just feel God more. You know, I want people to see God in me more. Yeah. Like, get revived and go. Get out of here. Do something else. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. But we have we have a Hogwarts, and it's in Kentucky. And yeah. and I don't want to go there. I have no interest. But you can go <laughs> if you want. You, would you go? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I'm sure uh, there's wonderful people in Kentucky that yeah. go to this school. And if they're but I have spoken right. at that school years, have you? years ago. I years did. Years ago. Years ago. One yeah. time, huh? One time. It was a one time. They never uh, invited you back. They invited me sure. back. Yeah, yeah. I'm, but what'd you say? I'm, I'm a guy you invite me What'd you once. say? I, I, you invite me once. What'd you, no, what'd you say? I know you said something though. I've been in, there used to, there was like a decade and a half where no matter what the room was at the end, you offended everyone or in the beginning. You kind of either started or ended. Yeah, I just think that. Was that a secret tactic to not get invited back? No, I, I just always felt like whether it's Christian or Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or atheist, everything needs to pass the litmus test of truth. And, you know, I think I've been as ruthless on Christians as I've been on atheists, and I've been kinder to atheists than yeah. I've been to Christians. That's true. I had to convince you not to hate Christians. Yeah, and, and because I believe so deeply in Jesus, um, I really don't have a lot of toleration for things that are disingenuous. Okay, yeah. well... You know, okay. We just we, hey, life is full of mysteries. I don't understand black holes or supernovas or you know antimatter, and so I'm not going to understand the Asbury revival, the, the, As, the Asbury black hole. <laughs> and uh, it, uh, you know, I hope it changes everyone's life for the better. That's my hope. Yeah, and maybe yeah. and maybe it is. Maybe it's breaking down some old theologies and old doctrines inside of that old school that it'll revive yeah. that. You know? But I will say. The moment you start thinking that that location is somehow uniquely sacred, yes, you become like Muslims with Mecca. Yes, uh, you you become like Hindus who go to the Ganges River or, um, like, like yeah, yeah. You, you know, you you start believing that this sacred spot is where God is working. You have to go there. You become like the uh, the people in the time of Jesus, all the all the paralyzed and the lame, the you know the the blind, the deaf. Who are trying to get into the water when it swirled so that the angel could touch them and heal them. And I think sometimes we're really prone toward magical thinking rather than um, to really learn how to live a truly spiritual life. And with that said, I think we're going to end this episode. Thank you guys for listening to the Better Ready podcast. You know, I'm here with my dad, Earl and I feel McManus, and we're so grateful that you guys listen to us hopefully every week, every Friday. We have it. My if voice this is your last dropping. time, if this is your last time, because you've been to the Asbury <laughs> Revival and uh, and you love it. Um, and it, I want to add this caveat, no matter how or where or when or through what mechanism, if you get connected to Jesus, I am I celebrate that. Yeah, I mean, I got reconnected to Jesus through people who are not even pastors anymore. <laughs> <laughs> who have pretty much got run off the face of the earth. You know, it's were, funny. Same you know, thing happened to me. I never told you that, but the very people no, really who, who it? Uh, I don't not yeah, to say their yeah. name, but the people who actually okay. helped me come to Jesus were people whose lives fell apart later. Yeah. And are out of that whole and world. You know, you know, and I'll say this too, because I've, I've like really wrestled with it, mm-hmm. and you've seen it over the last decade or so. 
but I'm still so grateful to them for the things that they did for me. Absolutely. You know, I don't like, I don't feel any ill will to them about the stuff they've done or the, their lives falling apart. Every everyone has that moment in life or might have that moment in life. And you know, I'm really grateful they brought me back to a relationship with Jesus. It's because and, imperfect people can do good things. Yeah, it's really beautiful how like, you know, yeah. the 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 life of Jesus and their their journey of Jesus mm -hmm. really met me at that place and and changed me and so many other people's lives for for the better, you know. Um okay. With that said, we're going to end this episode. Yeah. Right. Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening. We rate and review this podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts. You can you can give us five stars. You can leave a comment. Please do. We're so grateful. Um, you can also join us on Patreon. Mm -hmm. We have a unique Patreon. So if you go to the batteredypodcast.com or go to our Instagram, the link is in the bio. You can sign up for Patreon. We have a bunch of different levels. Basically, we release podcasts a little bit earlier. You get early access. You can ask us questions. We'll kind of do some interactive stuff with, with the guys from Patreon. Uh, thank you guys so much for being contributors. I think we have a few hundred people on Patreon. I would love mm. to see that grow. So maybe we got to do some things to see that grow. Um, but thank you guys for being a part of Bad Ready. It's almost been six years now, seven years. We're getting old, Bad Ready. Yeah. We're getting I, old. I think I want to do a Patreon episode on what? who are the Nephilim. The Nephilim? Okay, Google that because I'm not explaining that right now. <laughs> um, all right, guys, we're going to get out of here. We'll see you guys next week. Have a great week.